This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear, performance hunting apparel. You hear us talk about them all the time, and um, it is November, which means Thanksgiving, holiday, and Black Friday sales season, and right now, going on throughout the month, there are many different sales, up to 30% off on different things, such as our bundles, our cold gear, accessories, and different things like that, and then at the end of the month, the 24th through the 30th of November, will be the biggest sale of the year. Every year, the biggest sale of the year, site-wide sale, up to 50% off. Sales on almost everything. So if you've been looking to get geared up, our biggest sale of the year, Black Friday. But we do Black Friday for a solid week, November the 24th through the 30th. And check it out. And remember, if you use the code LABH, you get 20% off your first order. That doesn't apply to already discounted sale items so if you take advantage of the black friday sale and then there's a few more items you decide you want to pick up after the fact then you can go back and still get 20 percent off on those items at a later date by using labh at checkout so um i am here in kansas you hear us advertising on the podcast for 180 outdoors and you've heard me talk about 180 outdoors a lot of times on the podcast because i've made a lot of hunts up here over the years and I'm in Kansas, and Kyler is not on with me tonight because Kyler is hunting public ground in Oklahoma. And uh, so his stand-in is the owner of 180, Matt Wanzer. Matt, say hello. Hello. So Matt's with me here. We're at the brand-new lodge at 180. 
I'm um, making my yearly November visit, and Matt and I are going to talk a little bit about Midwest hunting, a lot about property management, leasing land, buying land, guided hunts, just a little bit of everything bow hunting. And um, I know that there is a ton of guys. I know, Matt, you guys have, what is your percentage of Louisiana hunters, percentage of your overall clientele? Oh, gosh. We've been going down to the Gonzalez trade shows for a long time, and um, I don't know if it's half, but it's got to be pushing close to the half the people that come hunt with us are from Louisiana. Yeah, we like to kill deer. I so, noticed that. <laughs> it's um it's a fertile recruiting ground for uh for hunting clients. But um so we're gonna talk a little bit. I actually filled my Kansas tag this morning. So uh that uh, it's you know I don't know it's like the last two or three years we keep getting these warm spells in November. It wasn't like that when you were a kid, was it? I don't remember that. It's climate change. Joe Biden's on to something. I guess. <laughs> you know, we say that and then last year um, we had that complete freeze out. Um, so who yeah. knows, but tomorrow they're talking about low seventies, mid seventies makes a tough hunting. It, so this morning, um, so I hunted, um, yesterday, I sat all day yesterday. We had a North wind and I, a killer spot. And I really wanted to stay there for a couple of days, but the wind shifted all the way around out of the South. And I went into a, a different farm this morning and I was, um, when we walked in, there's one really big deer on that farm that Maddie was like, man, this deer's really big. He might be a booner, you know, like, you know, so he's there. That's, just kinda, that's the one with the big flyer off his GT. Yes, really yeah. cool deer. Maddie tells me this farm, you know, there's not just that deer. There's several shooters there. And um, he's like, I got a lock on in there that we haven't really hunted, but it, it's kind of set up for this wind. So if you want to go try it out, I'm like, sure. You know, I actually was planning on going to this other farm that uh, we hunted near the lodge the first day. and uh, But I was scared I couldn't get into it with the, with the wind in the morning with the beans and the wind. I'm like, the wind's good for the stand, but I don't think I can get in there without blowing everything out. Well, I go to this farm, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> we blew like 15 deer out trying to get to the lock-on. And... So when we went to this stand, we, we walked past the ladder stand that I guess is kind of the primary spot on that. That is a cut cornfield. And um, this deer is standing back there with a doe, and it's kind of half bright. We were a little bit late, so I was just silhouetting. But I don't know how big he was, but he was big. And he's standing right behind the ladder stand, and we walked past and like I'm like, <sighs> you know. So I get in the stand, and I, I text Maddie, and I'm like, do we blew so many deer off this between the cut corn and the beans on the neighbor like we blew so many deer I don't know so it was really quiet till like nine o'clock and I'm telling Collins my cameraman's in the tree and I'm like man this is really the last cool weather morning we're gonna have before we have to go home and you know the we had the wind out of the south and there was so much thicket to the north I'm like I know those deer are, are probably done but there's so much thick it was one of those typical kansas draws thick timber stuff ag on either side I'm like there's a lot of got to be a lot of deer in that block of timber to the north of us that they don't know we're here and sure enough at nine o'clock we had a a beautiful like up and comer please don't shoot kind of deer that um came through with a doe and he was on her i mean on her on her and we watched him for a little while it was really cool you know a lot of really cool red action and then 
you know, deer started filtering out of the north coming in. And then this deer came in, and, and he, he was about five minutes behind the doe, and just a, a tall buck. He's not a, he's not a Kansas giant, but it's a cool buck. And I, I looked at Colin when he was coming out of the cornfield, and I was like, man, he's tall and he's pretty, and his main beams wrap all the way around. I'm like, it's going to be 75 tomorrow. I think I'm going to go ahead and shoot that one. I know there's a booner on this farm, but that one's going to have to do for this trip, so. Our guests every week are brought to you by our friend Brian Chamberlain, the Chamberlain Lending Team with Movement Mortgage. And if you're in need of a residential loan, primary or secondary vacation investment, cash out, rate reduction, renovation for add-ons, any of these kind of needs, contact Brian. Nobody does better. Low credit scores, potentially 0% down, and the Movement Mortgage 42% of their profits go towards charitable organizations through the Movement Foundation, and that sets them apart. Brian is licensed in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, NMLS number 114586, and Movement Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, NMLS ID number 39179. So so we're here a little bit later, right? So what's the rut cycle typically? You know, every year... Every year you go through that uh, kind of phases of it. Like late October, you get some really good pre-rut action if you got the cold weather. If it's hot, it's that's kind of a miserable hunt, or it can be. Uh, then moving in the first week in November, things are almost always interesting. And then that second week is like peak, peak rut time almost every year. Then, um, you know, this year it seems to be lagging behind a little bit. It's a little it's slower. Yeah. It's weird. Like, we, we're... We've been talking about that with, with the guides and some of the other hunters that have been in and out of camp while we've been here. And it's like, on the one hand, you kind of feel like it's got to pop off any minute, but then it's like, that can't be. It's just got to be just less visible than in years past because there's no way. It's November the 15th, you yeah, know? I, I agree. I think, you know, that 9th through the 13th is always pretty much our second hunt of November, and it's always the best. But uh, just because we didn't get to see it happen, I don't mm-hmm. think that determines if it, if the rut's happening or not. Yeah, so. I, I, I saw, I only hunted, well, I hunted one evening, well, half of a day, really. We got in there like 1130. All day yesterday and then this morning until I shot the, shot the deer at 930, I think. And um, I kind of seen everything. Like I seen deer acting like they weren't rutting at all. And then I seen deer that acted like, they were cruising early, and then I seen deer that were definitely, like, about to breed lockdown with those. I seen bucks being – I mean, I've seen, like, what you would call every phase of the rut. So, it's just a really weird year. So, I had – so, when you want to book your hunt and or, or you want to – if you lease some property or, or whatever you do, if you come up here, like, I don't know what to tell you because – yeah, that's what everyone says. Like, what week do I need to come next year? I was like, well, I wish we could predict the weather. If yeah. we could, I'd say you need to be here on the cold days. But, yeah. uh, you know, the the big big deal with booking guided hunts is you got to be in it for the long haul. Because not every year you come is going to be lights out with the moon's right, the, the weather's right, the wind's not blowing, it's not raining. All the things that are outside of our control, you know, that it changes. Yep. Some years, you're, I, I know, I've been fortunate enough to, to hunt in several different areas and make a lot of different hunting trips, and, you know, I've seen it both ways. Like, I, I went to Missouri last week, and I, I literally, I, I went in 
to a piece of property I had permission to hunt. And I went back there on the the first day we got there in the middle of the day because primarily the wind wasn't exactly right, but I wanted, we were hunting mobily. And I wanted to go get my set hung because I had two days and I was going to sit all day back there in the back of this place, the place that I know. And while we're setting up our stand, he's, the cameraman's climbing up the ladder and I've got three bucks come through in bow range. Two of them were younger but good deer. The other one is the one I killed that was like a, 300 pound 155 inch 10 point and it's terrible weather i mean it literally we got in a hailstorm trying to get out of there and you know so we really didn't hunt i hunted the next day killed him sat made one sit and i sat all day but and i killed him in the afternoon but one hunt but then i've been on other hunts where you literally sit pretty much all day or all day for five days and it's one moment in time in there somewhere and it might be the fourth day. It might be the fifth day. It, it might, might be right out of the gate. It <laughs> might be. So you you like you do you got to just kind of like mentally prepare yourself. Whether you're guided, really, I would say you know because you guys do a lot of different things. You do fully guided hunts. You do a semi guided kind of package where you know you provide the 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 lodge and you provide the ground to hunt on and and some stands that are already set and stuff. But it's kind of on you. You know the guides help you out a little bit, but they're not holding your hand. They're not cooking for you and all that. You got the fully guided option, but you also lease land and all that. So whatever it is, because any of those options, you're probably got a week of vacation, you know, and you're probably here for a given period of time. And if you really want to be successful, to your point, you got to mentally prepare because that's it's like a tired cliche, but you have to put time in. Absolutely, you know, if you're if you're got this one opportunity to come up for one week, then. I would always do a, a either a guided or a semi-guided hunt because uh, we'll have so much of the work done prior to you getting here. You're not burning vacation time to come up here in the summer and set stands and fill feeders and run cameras and all the, all the work that goes into that. You can save all, all your time for hunting. Um, but if you do have, you know, like one gentleman that came up, he was offshore. Like he might work offshore for two weeks and he's got two weeks off. Like if you have a, a schedule that allows you to come and go, like a lease or even maybe buying a piece of ground is a great option because you'll have that flexibility in your schedule that allows you to come back multiple times. And then you, you can almost bank on catching the weather on one on yeah. trip. Hunting season is here. That fall weather's upon us. If you've had some success or you're expecting to and you need a taxidermist, contact our friend Brian Anders at the Taxidermy Shop. Located at 2582 Highway 48, Liberty, Mississippi, Conveniently located right between Centerville, Liberty, and Gloucester. Whether you're chasing bucks and ducks in the fall, big gobblers in the spring, or you land that trophy fish, give our friend Brian Anders a call at 601-248-6945. No job is too big or too small. Brian offers quality work in a timely manner, family-owned and operated. If you need a taxidermist, give our friend Brian Anders a call at the taxidermy shop, 601-248-6945. Well, I, I think so. This is the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. So I'm I'm very when I say these things, I'm very specifically talking about the culture that I grew up in. The Mississippi and Louisiana are very similar. And I grew up in Mississippi, but I've been in Louisiana for a long time. And you know, our hunting camp culture is just it's different because we don't have as much of this defined period of action. We have lots of phases of deer season, and really, what it ends up boiling down to is there might be some times where you hunt the same way you do here, but Typically, I mean, it's a hunt in the morning, come back to the camp, watch college football, eat, go back out to the stand. And you can do that when you come up here. If you want to relax and hang out, 
if you want to do a guided hunt where you don't have to, I mean, you can do that. But if you really want the full experience and you want to see everything that you can see from a Midwest whitetail hunt, like, I can't tell you over the years how many deer and how many really cool things I've seen happen between 11 and 2 o'clock. Yeah. That you that I know because I did at home and stuff, you know, that I, I've lived that life my whole life. You go to the hunting camp, you get up, and everybody gets up, and everybody goes to a stand, and everybody comes in middle of the morning, eats a late breakfast, watches the football game, that kind of thing. And you kind of feel like everything around you in the woods is doing what you're doing, just kind of relaxing in the middle of the day. But, you know, that de- I, there was a deer that I passed yesterday that we've talked about, and you'll see on, on the video uh, – you know, we video, I could have shot him, I mean, very easily. And kind of wish I would have, honestly, because he was really, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, age and size-wise, he was about the same as the deer I did shoot, but he had a much cooler rack. But I, I debated it for too long and, and, and ended up didn't. But that was at noon. I mean, straight up noon, the deer pops out in a winter wheat field 300 yards away and starts walking not away from me, but like left to right at an angle away from me. I grunted at him, and he came from 300 yards to literally 10 yards. And he milled around and never spooked him or anything. He just made his way. He's just looking for does. Yeah, if they don't have a doe with them, they're they go everywhere. responsive to calling as well. I'll tell you something that I've noticed, too, about when you hunt up here, and it's every phase of the rut I've seen. I think we all go in the woods as hunters, and this probably applies I would say it definitely applies to anywhere, not just in Kansas or in the Midwest. But I think we look at the woods and we see a trail and we imagine a deer going from point A to point B. And we hunt that. And and I know that in the summer, if you come up here and hunt with you guys in the summer, that's what you're doing. They're coming out of bed. They're coming into these fields late in the afternoon or whatever. We do that at home, everything. But this time of the year, the deer will, I mean, they'll, they'll walk in figure eights. I mean, and I'm not talking about just a small area or but they do it like, in and around everything yeah they walk all around there's scent checking it so you got a block of woods i mean they may walk right through the field uh, you know on the downwind side and and check that whole area just from from the smell and then bounce right across that 300 acre wheat field or bean stubble or whatever it may be to that next uh, bedding area and do the same thing again and just cover an immense amount of ground it's i I tell you something that i noticed you say that it's funny but I, i noticed it with a, a young buck, I, I rattled up a little small, one or two year old little small buck uh, yesterday, and we're in a in, in a kind of a pinch point between a couple of fields, and so we got about two acres of timber around us right there, maybe an acre or something like that. This little buck comes in there looking for the call. Well, when he gets in there, he doesn't see anything, right? And sometimes that's good or bad with a mature buck, but with a with a with a little buck, I mean, he's still like, well, what's going on, guys? And that dude, it was like if you've ever seen a blood dog work. That's what it was. He walked every square inch, smelling every branch, every every rock, every everything. He was he was like, I heard something over here, and I'm trying to pick it. Like he was, it was just like a blood dog. He was trying to pick up the scent of those deer so he could follow them. And that's, I mean, that's what they're doing, and they do it all day long, you know. So it it's really if you've never done it, it's really cool. If you plan on doing it if if your intentions are to see and experience what you see on TV or what you see on YouTube then you got to plan to come up and and really hunt hard you know i agree and i think to another thing that you know people think i'm going to go on this hunt and these deer are just going to jump out and they're going to be everywhere behind every tree 
Now, I hate to say that. Um, don't want to shoot myself in the foot here, but it's not like that. You know, it's deer hunting. You're just it deer is. hunting in a different place. It's got a bigger deer and more potential, and your odds are way higher than maybe anywhere else you could go. But there's still all those bad things that could happen as well. So if you if you say, you know, I'd like to kill – 150 plus or 160 plus or a big mature deer i'd like to rattle one in or all these things you daydream about as a whitetail hunter like just keep coming like come it's gonna it'll come, happen absolutely come hunt with us for the next three years you know you'll come hunt and come mm-hmm. hunt hard and and uh, get your mind right about i'm gonna come do this for a couple of years and you'll have the opportunity to see everything you've ever dreamed about in the whitetail world but you're gonna have to budget some time over time yeah. and commit to that it's it it really so a, a friend of mine is here hunting with us and this is his first trip to hunt this style of hunting in the Midwest and and he's talked about that a little bit since we've been here I mean he hunted with me in Missouri and now he's hunted in Kansas and so he's kind of seen two different versions of the Midwest hunting and he talked about it like you first of all for the most part when you hunt down. At, at, in the south you can't see the way you can see up here there's so much open ground when you get in a tree stand up here you know at least visually you you're, you're always on a lot more alert because you can see deer that you really will never even kill you know i mean you know you can see so much but just because of the way i get i, I have some theories about this and we can get into it but um just the way the hunting is but you get to see things that People in the South only see on TV and only, they know that this is how deer act, but they don't ever get to see it because it happens in a 200-acre pine thicket and that a beagle dog can't run through. Up here, it happens on the edge of a cornfield, and everybody can see it from the highway and every tree stand on the farm, you know? And so um, that's the really, to me, it's obviously great, and it's obviously awesome to kill nice bucks. Um, the success is obviously what everybody's after, but simply as just a, you know, just someone who loves hunting and deer hunting and loves bow hunting, being able to experience the, what you get to see the deer do, because I'll get into my, my, um, opinions a little bit here. I, I think that you, with the shorter seasons and the less tag, the deer just aren't as pressured. They act more naturally. Now they're still like your point It's still deer hunting. They still are very wary animals. They're God made them as a prey animal, and they know it, and they know things are trying to eat them, and they're that's their only job is to eat, reproduce, and stay alive. Yeah, survive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they're still you still can't be stupid. You can't hunt the wind wrong. You can't do jumping jacks in the deer stand, and they're not just walking around daylight to dark all over the place. And you know, so you still have to have your wits about you as a hunter. But the deer aren't. You know, they don't live through an October to February hunting season and where you know in louisiana we can depending on the part of the state i mean people are killed four five six deer a year legally up here you kill one buck and one doe whether you're resident non-resident whatever you kill one buck one doe and the firearm season is a lot shorter so that therefore you know there's less archery hunters than there are firearm hunters i think that's the case with a lot of midwestern states certainly in kansas so that that's part of the reason um i think the deer herd which also plays into the state's management of resources, the the herd dynamics better. The age structure is better. Um, the doe to buck ratio just across a broad region is better. So the deer act di- down home. We kill so many deer that the, the the herd is all screwed up over a big region, 
and they don't act the same way that they're supposed to act. No, they don't walk around here looking up in the trees. You know? Yeah, they don't. It's That's a, crazy. It's a completely different world. Now, I can give you my rundown. You know, I lived here my whole life. I've seen it when non-residents couldn't hunt here to when they really didn't to when it's tons of people in comparison. And, you know, you watch, uh, I always say this, like the nutritional value of the ground, the genetic potential of the deer, it's been here. It's always been here. They were big before food plots, before mineral blocks. The deer were big. They just had a lack of pressure. It was a very rural area, low population. Not, no one was shooting them. They were getting huge. So now you go through like a period in this that's been influenced by a lot more people hunting, and you and you see different, I mean, all the different things we're doing now for the deer. Um, and moving forward, what I see happening is there's a lot of people buying ground. A lot of people leasing ground. There's a lot of people that are becoming educated in how to manage deer, how to grow deer. So you're seeing some of our premium habitat farms being owned by hunters. They're being taken care of by hunters. And I think we're looking at a very prosperous time moving forward with what our whitetail herd is going to do with the amount of people that are, like I say, educated, knowledgeable, spending time and money and effort into making good decisions about how old the deer is they're shooting, like, you know, putting the, saving the habitat, putting the food to them, like all those things. Um, it's interesting because there's going to be little pockets all over the state that are just growing, you know, incredible animals. Well, I think it stands to reason if you own something, if you invest in something, you're going to take a more, you know, deeper dive, personal investment in everything that goes on there. You know, um, if you come up here, you draw a tag and you come on a public land hunt, or you buy a semi-guided hunt, or some farmer just, you ran into the grocery store, gives you access to hunt. You know, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but you don't have the investment. And so I agree with you, but, you know, the guy that owns property, I mean, to your point, that guy, if he plays his cards right, and I'm going to ask you some of this, because, so let me just, let me lead before I ask some of these questions. Matt's also a real estate agent. Right. So not only does he own and operate 180 Outdoors, but he also does real estate and mostly farm recreational type of real estate. So um, I think it's not really an educated opinion. It's really just an opinion. I think from, uh, I guess it's educated in experience from what I've seen over the years hunting here. Um, A guy that buys property here, if he plays his cards right, there's income potential to offset the expense. That's that's one thing that I'm going to ask you about. But before we go to that, just talking about deer hunting itself, like you you talk about killing, you know, the giant deer that Kansas has to offer. You you afford yourself that ability year after year because you because your point to your point, you can invest and manage your property, and and this place grows them. You just got to give them the chance. Absolutely. I mean. All you have to do is not shoot them. <laughs> that is all you have to do. Now, I mean, can you leave crops standing? Can you, you put in the right food plots, make sure there's mineral blocks forever, so many acres of timber? I mean, there's there's tons and tons of things that you can do. And I found anymore I get just as much enjoyment out of um, mowing trails and putting plots in and you know scheming and thinking and, and providing, if you will, as I do killing them. But... Uh, you know, I just see that the scale that that's happening. 
the number of people that are investing in that. Like that's great for our herd and that's trending to a place where we're going to be growing, you know, a lot of big deer and, and I'm excited to see more, more land get put into that as a primary use. Cause this, this is uh, livestock, uh, agriculture, like that was the only way to make money off the land here for years and years. Like the recreational play that you may be more, you know, I've seen the, the hunting camps and the, the things of the south that that culture is just not here it's it's coming here it's you guys have brought it up um but you know having this this big farm or you know river bluff on the mississippi with yeah you know 20 members and that's a big income producing thing hey guys i want to take a minute to tell you about the newest supporter of our podcast freebird coffee company freebird coffee is a louisiana-based small business and it's veteran owned and operated by three lifelong friends that love the great outdoors as much as they love great coffee all three guys are big hunters and outdoorsmen and part of the louisiana bow hunter community with one of them still serving our country as active duty military they specialize in roasting small batch, 100% organic, single origin, rainforest alliance certified coffee. Their coffee is a small batch roasted, so it doesn't sit on the shelves for months like many of the big bag coffees. This guarantees its freshness and gives it a taste that separates it from the rest. Freebird offers three different roasts a medium roast, a French roast, and a high caffeine roast, all in unique, eye catching, outdoor branded packaging. Freebird Coffee Company also offers a line of apparel and merchandise, and you can check them out at freebirdcoffee.com. Currently, Freebird Coffee is distributed online only. However, they're looking to get into stores and expand their presence. So if you own a store or you know someone who has a store and would like to carry Freebird Coffee, reach out and get in touch with them. I can tell you my wife and I are both big coffee drinkers, and we brewed a pot of the French roast recently, and I was very impressed. So check them out online at freebirdcoffeecompany.com and follow them on Instagram at freebirdcoffeeco and use the discount code FREEDOM for 10% off your purchase. Freebird Coffee, the best damn coffee in the world. That hasn't been here. You know, it's yeah. still relatively new, so. I don't I don't see that culture ever fully getting here simply because there's not enough hunting season. That culture is is supported in the south because the bag limits are so much higher and the seasons are so much longer and the weather is so much more conducive to, to camp life. How do you guys stay married? Well, uh, I don't know. I struggle through the month of November, and you, and you guys do it for six there's months. A, there's a lot of marriages that, um, so it's got to be like a pre. You got to like you know explain my, you, that before you get you, too deep. You know into my it. wife, so I'm going to gauge my words very carefully. She does not listen to this podcast. So. <laughs> Mike's not either, so we can speak freely. <laughs> I mean, part of it is just having an understanding wife. Really, that's part of it. And but on the other hand, like if I'm being completely honest, there's a lot of marriages that probably struggle mightily between september and february because that hunting camp lifestyle is real now you do see a lot of people that really incorporate family into it you know they have a nice camp and it's so when we talk about investing in land and it plays into this too you know if if you've got the means to invest in property and put your money somewhere and you want to hunt in the midwest so a lot of what people do is their camp lifestyle in the south it's a vacation resort kind of thing they set themselves up so the wife and kids come to the camp and they watch football and cook out on the weekends and that's what they do 
and they hunt. I mean, not everybody. Obviously, there's a lot of guys that go just drink and party all weekend and deer hunt, and their wives stay pissed at them. I mean, that, that's, maybe they deer hunt. <laughs> they might deer hunt some. That's obviously a thing. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of that that happens where your camp, your hunting camp, is it's, it's a resort vacation kind of thing. I see that. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy being around that, like coming yeah. from not coming from that. And then seeing it, it's the the culture, the people, the you know how it, you just celebrate hunting and, yeah. and and being together. Well, you can have that here too, though. What well, and that's if you invest in property, get you a nice little farmhouse. It's a different part of the world to experience for part of the year. This is what I seen a lot more of. So when you look out, um, you know, as a kid growing up here, there'd be miles and miles and miles. There's not a house, nothing. Yeah, you know, and and a lot of people have bought properties and they'll put up a, you know, a forty by forty or forty by sixty metal building, finish the inside off real nice, and make a good camp out of it. Maybe you know, leave one side of it a little garage so they can leave a side by side here, duck decoys, you know, whatever they got. And uh, you see more and more of that happening. So you know, there's there's um, utilities are pretty available, electricity, water, run in there. If not, uh, you know, they do a lot of water wells. And people are putting these little camps on their property. And there was a time when I would have just, don't do that, don't do that, you know, because it's going to hurt your property value. But now it's like such a, a positive to have somewhere to stay because you got guys traveling 8, 10, 12 hours to get here. They roll in. If, if they got a little place to keep their things, they're side by side and everything's here. They literally pull in, yeah. you know, crash, and the next day they're out uh, yeah. enjoying the property. Well, I mean – it's you know on the on the guided and the semi guided side of things. I mean that's what you guys are doing with the new lodge. Is you're you're bettering that, and and the other thing like I know it's it's only part of it, but like with the CWD crap that's going on and the transporting deer and whether you know it, whether you're on a on a short trip, public guided semi guided whatever, are you on property? You're still all under the same umbrella there. So, um, you know not only can you improve the experience for yourself and the whole family. And, and all that kind of stuff, but you, you know, you you can kind of take care of things the way they need to be taken care of, so you don't have problems. Um, that's a big thing. But I, to me, especially as far as the people, you know, listening to this podcast, the advantage if you're in that if you're in that place in life where you you're looking to invest in land, and you can, uh, the the benefit really as a deer hunter is what you're able to do. You know, um, and so kind of and pay and, and kind of going into that too. Even with the, the leases, is kind of the diet version of that. If you lease a yeah. piece of ground, you still have the ability, maybe not over the long haul, but in a year's capacity, you have the ability. You have the more flexibility with coming when the weather's right. You kind of have the ability to, um, kind of do your own thing and manage it the way you want to. It's 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 not the same, obviously, that of the overall long term approach of owning property but just speaking just about deer hunting and the quality of deer that you create like there's places in louisiana for example my place you know so at least 400 acres behind my house it's you know uh it's timber company land it's got a long lease on it there's only so much i can do really you know i mean i enjoy it Flip killed that deer a couple weeks ago. That was awesome. I killed a nice buck there a couple years ago. It was really bigger than I ever thought I'd ever kill there. But that's only going to happen every now and then, and they're not going to get any bigger than that, no matter what I do. But if you come up here, 
like you said, all you got to do is not shoot them. Yeah, <laughs> They're going to get that big. Yeah, that's where I was getting at earlier. Like, it's still deer hunting. You still got to battle some of those same things that you're doing at home. But the, your your maximum potential, the high end, the top shelf, it's just more here. Yeah. It's just, it's no, and come to the Midwest. And I'm not just, I'm biased to Kansas because this is home and what I love. But, you know, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, there's a lot of places kicking out big deer. But you, when you come here, you just, you're hunting. Yeah the opportunity for something that you can't find at home. You know, it's just not there. So have you ever personally hunted in the South? I know you turkey hunted in the South, but have you ever deer hunted down there? No, I've had the luxury of chasing Mississippi turkeys and <laughs> huh, you call it. Yeah. So, so can you, you can subscribe to the, 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 uh, the, the theory or the cliche saying that if you can kill them there, you can kill them anywhere. Yeah, yeah I get it. I got you. I got you. That's so, why, that's why some, some of the Cajuns come up here a little bit scary because these deer are a lot easier to deal with than what they've been used I was, to. I was, I was about to say the deer hunting's not a whole lot different. I mean, it's still, some of that has to, I think our turkeys are just smarter in general for whatever reason, evo, evolution. But as far as deer goes, it has more to do with geography, you know, um, I, so you know, if you just I say this a lot, but if I come up here and and you say, "Hey, man, you're gonna go hunt this farm, right? Whatever farm, and it's 400 acres." If I take that 400 acres and I compare it to my 400 acres, like I can quickly diagnose and and figure out how to hunt pretty much every part of that 400 acres. 400 acres in the south, it's 250 or 300 acres of pine thicket that I there's no telling what's in there, and and it may never come out. You know, and it's just, it's so different, and no, you can, all that's you completely You can different. dissect the Midwest by, on, yeah. on a map. Well, I tell people this, and I'm, I've am i said this on this podcast so many times, and that's one of the reasons that I'm going to ask you to opine on it, okay, because this is coming from a lifelong hunter from this area. I, I've obviously hunted up here a lot in, in different places, and, and so the opinion that I've gathered is people – say, oh, I'm going up to 180 Outdoors or I'm going to, you know, I drew a tag in Iowa or whatever. And in their mind, they're thinking, there's just deer running around everywhere. And it's like, to be honest with you, we probably have more deer per square acre than they do. It's just they're more visible. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you go on a, a farm there and, there, you know, there may be five or six bucks and two or three of them are mature and a herd of does. And, and of course, during the rut, there could be anything passed through there. But you don't have the holding capacity. From a land yeah, perspective. There's, there's not as much bedding there. You know, yeah. when you look at a 300-acre farm and 240 acres of it is a cornfield, yeah. um, you know, you you can't, uh, you, you just can't hold as many deer. Yeah. It's a lot of food, but it's not a lot of yeah, holding but, capacity and cover. Yeah, that's the limiting factor at that point. Is, yeah. You know, is the habitat, the, the bedding habitat. It's, it's, it goes back to what we initially said. When you come up here and hunt, you have to kind of, you want that ultimate success and that ultimate experience. You got to put in your time, and because the truth of the matter is, if you're a good enough hunter to get in somewhat the right areas and hunt the wind correctly, it's just a matter of time. Because he's only got so many places he can walk without being in the middle of a wide open field, and he will do that, but not as often as he's going to go through those pinches and down those edge rows. And if you sit there long enough, he's coming eventually. You know, I I can't even express to you how many times I've had gentlemen come hunt with me from the south. And I take them to a farm, and they look at me and go, they just shake. Like, no way. There's not a deer here. And they'll be in stand. They said, man, it looked like the deer just grew up out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think you probably some. said something like that to me 12 years ago. Probably so. I'm like, <laughs> would you just sit here 
and before you start judging me. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it is amazing how a lot of these places around here that you hunt, it's like that. And to to the credit of the deer, you know, they just show up. And it's like you've been sitting there for hours and then all of a sudden there's a deer standing on the edge of that field. And where did you come from? And, and there's nothing but like a ditch that's fifteen yards wide anywhere around, you know, and and he's not just a deer, he's a big deer. <laughs> you know, and it's like, where'd you come from? And I remember uh when we first got going, we leased a couple big, you know, big landowners and we had to take all the property. And you know, you get it out and you start going through it and you're thinking, All right, this is a no brainer, this place is great. I wish we didn't have to lease that. I really don't want to pay for that. And then uh things get tight, you get busy and you run over there and you throw a camera up and you check it and you're like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> why wow. are you here yeah you know it's just out uh, they yeah it's like they i think it's kind of by default sometimes like you you bump a deer and he moves you bump a deer and he moves you bump a deer and he moves you know i think he lands in this spot and no one ever bumps him he's safe there no one ever bothers him he's just that's where he's at and and then until one day somebody stumbles in there and look what you found yeah so. well um it's it's interesting it's it's definitely from someone who I grew up the hunting camp life in Mississippi, and we deer hunted a lot. I killed a lot of deer with a thirty thirty. I mean, a lot. A brush gun. <laughs> I killed a ton of them. And, you know, it wasn't until I was out of college and, you know, just working and meeting people and having enough extra money to travel a little bit and do things that I ever can. I, I, I remember growing up watching the hunting videos and seeing people come to the Midwest and thinking, man, I really want to do that, you know, and over the last 12, 15 years of doing it, I've learned a lot. And it's, you know, what I would say to people is the one thing that, I, that that's always stuck out to me is most of the cliche stuff that you hear, you hear a lot of stuff in the outdoor industry and, and everything, I guess, in life. But that's kind of how, most of the cliche things you hear about, the, see, put in your time. The deer are there. You know, the, 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 the it's true. Like it, it, it really does. Ha- and, and, but there's times though that, you know, you come up here and you look at a piece of property and you, it's so different from the South that if you're one of those people, you're looking, I'm gonna come look at a, a place to lease or a place to buy. And I look at it and you, it's just different. And you got to accept that fact, you know, yeah, before you judge it. You Same thing about a hunt. You come up here on a hunt and you sit a couple of days and you're like, these guys got me. Trust me, just sit there. Well, yeah, Mother Nature may have you in a bad way, but we won't do that to yeah. you. So, you know, uh, trail, the trail camera phenomenon, we're at cell cams, give it to me right now, you know, immediate gratification. That's the whole world, though, it, right? Oh, Instant gratification. Instant, you know, and, the, and you come on this hunt, show me a picture, show me a picture in the last two days. I want to know what was here last night. Oh, he wasn't there last night. I can't hunt there. That's crazy. Yeah. That is absolutely it is. crazy. It is. Well, I mean, for example, the deer that I killed today, no pictures of him on that farm. The deer that I passed yesterday, no pictures of him. And I told we're him, running cameras. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, well, well, Maddie sent me the pictures of the deer that are most frequently on camera that on this farm. That you're hunting. Yeah, and he's know, like, here, yeah. here's some deer. That's, I mean, that's a really cool thing about coming hunting here. I mean, they'll tell you like this is what you should expect. But to your point, a 170 from the neighbor's farm liable to show up. It's the rut, you know. But this deer shows up, and I told him I said, I after the the, the crazy horn deer. <laughs> after I, I didn't shoot him anymore, I said, man, 
I definitely should have shoot him because he's the best kind. He's the neighbor's deer. <laughs> <laughs> the, old, the old bonus buck. <laughs> you know, but back in the day, like we didn't have a trail cam picture. You stumble into the woods and you be smart. You don't touch anything. You ease them down one side and, and check for creek crossings, muddy spots for tracks. Some, there's several rubs in an area. There's some big deer tracks. Like, I'm going to hang a stand here. Yeah. Like, it's still there. Like, hunting is still hunting, but we've got into this craze that's taking I, it. I to find, I do this at home too, and I find all the time that, that I, I wish sometimes, like, I wish I could go back to that, like, and then I was a child, so I say it childlike, but I was a child, but it was like, you could literally sit there and imagine that the biggest deer in the world was right over that next hill. Because you had no idea. There were no mm-hmm. cameras to like, well, and then that's really more applicable like early season with the deer pattern. Up here, it really could be the biggest deer in the world in the rut yeah, that's over yeah, the next absolutely. hill. I mean, that that's one of the cool things about hunting up here is, you know, you come and hunt on any of these farms or if you, you had a farm or even on public ground or anything, like these deer at some point, they at, at some point these deer go anywhere. You know, I mean, they could be crossing a public ground. They could be crossing your private ground. They could be crossing the one that you're hunting on a guided hunt. Anything. They don't know that that's private, that's public. That You know, yeah. he's just doing his thing, right? Yeah, it's like, it's like say, like, right now, like, this very moment, like, what's going on in the deer woods? So, what do we do? In Kansas, you can bait. You know, if you go on a guided hunt, everyone's expecting someone to be feeding corn, somebody to be running a trail camera, and I want to see that corn when I'm hunting, and and, and I want to know what's eating that corn, and I want to shoot what's eating that corn. Okay, that's that's entertainment, but hey, do you want to really kill deer? We might want to get away from that corn, because you can watch deer, uh, like today, nothing was going to eat. They weren't going yeah. to eat corn. They weren't going to eat clover. They weren't going to eat anything. Like the deer I seen today, like they were... They were either cruising or with a doe. Yeah. Like, they, they, the food wasn't the thing. Yeah. So, depending on, like, what time it, uh, you know, what time of year it is, like, you may have to open up to the fact that we're setting in this stand, not because we have a trail cam picture in the last two days, but because this is a connection point between two big blocks of woods or two big bedding areas that we're aware of. And like we talked earlier, when that deer is done checking that block of woods, He's going to the next, mm-hmm. and the land will lead him. They're a lazy animal. The land will lead them there. So there, you may be sitting in a stand on the third week in November because that's what the deer are doing right now. They're not eating corn. They're not standing in front yeah. of trail cameras. Like, they're checking bedding areas, and we need to be in these, these uh, what you used to call them rut rockers, you know, these stands that are in between uh, bedding areas. So you just got uh, to go with what's, what's going on in the woods. Which one you want? The tall one. Okay, that'll make a man out of you right there. <laughs> uh, our 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 uh, Colin brought us some more drinks here. Um, so all right, so we we've talked a lot about a lot of this stuff, you know, with Midwest hunting and what you guys do at one eighty and all that kind of stuff. But like, I want to, and and I I was kind of leading to this while ago, and we you know we go all different directions, but like I want to I want to kind of like try to help someone from Louisiana, say, or anybody listening in the South. Like, what kind of, what should they expect? Speaking from the the outfitter standpoint, you know, um, or from the real estate guy standpoint that's helping a guy who's an investor in, in hunting property. Well, let me say this real quick before we segue into that. So, 
whether you're your first year out of college or you're you know scraping together enough money so you can get away from the week or you're sitting on a um, you know some maybe you're cashing out a 401k or you know you just inherited some funds or you sold a property in Louisiana and you're looking to reinvest it somewhere else um, like we handle that like A to Z don't feel like you can't call because you don't have enough money to go buy 160 acres don't feel like you can't call because you can't you know buy uh, a fully guided hunt like we offer, you know, from small leases to big leases to semi-guided to, uh, you know, fully guided hunts. Every now and then we'll do it do-it-yourself hunt. A guy will call up and say, hey, I got a tag. The place I was going to hunt, it kind of fell apart. Can you help me? i say, yeah, you know, actually we got a couple farms we picked up late. Hadn't had time to put a tree stand on. Um, I can get you squared away on these and, and uh, you know, you can go in and hang some stands and hunt this week. So there's like, don't don't let your budget depict if you think you can go hunt the midwest or not like there's options i think that people oftentimes think if they go through a service of some kind that i can't afford that and you know maybe some of those people literally can't but in my opinion if you're gonna put in and draw a 550 dollar tag for one deer you might as well go ahead and try to do it as right as you can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not well, like you drove up and bought a hundred dollar over the counter. Uh-uh. How about you take those five fifties for a couple of years, put them in your piggy bank, and then you know let's focus a year yeah. of, of of really going at it in style versus um, just grinding so hard or working so hard at something that you can better your odds if you just have some patience. Yeah. So, so uh, like with with all that being said, I want to kind of segue into. Uh, so if you're if if you're a Louisiana guy, avid bow hunter now, I'm not talking about I'm talking about someone who considers themselves a pretty avid avid hunter. You know, how should what should their expect like I this is a question I've always wanted to ask somebody and I've kind of asked this on the turkey podcast before, but I've never really I don't know that we've asked this on a deer podcast. If you're working with a land professional to lease or buy land or if you're working with a guide on a, on a guided trip, like what is your, as the land pro and the guide, what is your expectation? How should that person prepare to make the, the everything go well? You know, what should their expectations be in either of those situations? And like, how should that relationship work? Cause I think, I think some people, they just don't know, you know, they just don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to go at that from two different angles. Let's talk about guide first and like, what you can do there. Um, just kind of my philosophy in life in general is control what you can control. And there's some things that are outside of your hands. Don't worry about those. You can't do that. So, you know, uh, making sure you're prepared, your clothing, you know, have layers to deal with the heat and or the cold, um, be scent free, you know, ha- you know have, uh, you know, either like a plastic tub or like scent free bags or something you can keep, uh, your clothing out of the trucks, you know, I, I recommend dressing when you get to the farm. You know, those are things you can control as a hunter. Shoot your bow before you get here. <laughs> Don't show up and take it out of the package and sight it in in the driveway. Yeah. That is, um, I can't explain. Big red flag for a guy, uh, right? <laughs> your stomach rolls over. And if I could say this, like, they're, like when you're passionate about your work, when you really care about what you do, like the level of commitment we make to things before you get here, I don't know if I can explain. And I don't know that there's a lot of people that would want to engage and do that with us. Yeah. So one thing that we respect 
as someone that respects our time. So when you show up prepared, that shows respect. Yeah. So when you showed up prepared, we want to send you into. You feel like that person's going to get the job done and not leave you tracking a deer for two days. Yeah. Well, you know, mistakes happen. Whatever. 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 We can go into a lot of intangibles there. And I've made some. Yeah. Everybody has. Yeah. But it's like. Too fun. Let's say, let's talk about a booner, 170 inch deer. Everyone's like, I want to buy a guided hunt and I want to shoot a booner. Like, once we finally find a booner and we find this scenario where we think we can kill him, and then you step back and you look at the guy that just popped his bow out of the box. That's not the guy you want flinging arrows at a booner. No, that you worked all summer to find. That is, uh, <laughs> this is disrespectful on a couple levels uh, to the yeah. deer, for yeah. one, to yeah. the animal. True. You know, and then also to the people that have engaged in the blood, sweat, and tears, you know, mm-hmm. in, in order to, to to see that. Um, you know, I've never killed a 200-inch deer, but we've had several 200-inch deer be killed, you know, out of our camp. So, like, and the people that did that. Like, one guy sat in a tree stand an entire day during September. It's 95 it's degrees. He's sweating. He brought a bottle of water with him. He was not prepared to hunt all day. But the deer bedded in the bean field, and he knew he couldn't leave. Yeah. You know, so he just took it. Took it like a champ. And the thing about it is, like, when he – we knew that deer was there. We, we picked that guy, not because we're best friends, but because we knew he had the resolve to do whatever. Yeah. If he had to get up at 2 in the morning stinking, he would have done it. Yeah. Right? He would have done things that he needed to do uh, to make it work. So, like, when you're coming on a hunt, like, you be prepared – Shoot your bow, know your equipment, know your clothes, have it, keep your clothes clean and away from everything. You know, be, uh, be ready yeah. to go to the woods. Be ready to capitalize on that moment you've waited so long for. I can see what you're saying, like, in the design of the new lodge. And I'm not trying to go off into that. We're going to do some video work that you can find on 180's website and social media to show the new lodge. But, like, with the way you have the bedrooms go out to the porch – and the way the mudroom's set up, and, like, the way the new lodge is oriented, you can see where you're, like, trying. It's like herding cattle. You're trying yes, to get people. Please do this this way. <laughs> this is how we would like you to uh, to behave while you're here. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I think you can, you can say this. Like, Matt Lehman's been um, one of our best guides, lead guides, for a long time now, just uh, fully committed and, and done all the things it takes to be successful. And you want to talk about a guy that goes to work. Like, oh, yeah. He goes to work, and he's he's methodical and and excellent, and knows the animals and knows the farms. Like, I just when I watch him do what he does, like that's all I can ask for anybody that comes is, is respect that. Yeah, you respect it by being prepared. Like, yeah. yeah, we talk about that on this podcast all the time, and it and it's not even from a guy; it's just from a like. And I'm not, I don't cut any bones about it. People that listen to this podcast, they pretty much know my opinions by now. And you do too, because anybody that's friends with me knows I'll give them to you if you ask. Sometimes if you don't ask, but um, like I think it's if you want, like in my opinion, like I love this sport, and I I want my sons to grow up in it, and and I want to see it thrive in every state in America, and it's just like you owe it to the sport to the animals. Whether you're you know you owe it to the guides if you're on a guide hunt, you owe it to your partners in your deer lease. You owe it to the other people that are accessing that public ground with you to do the right freaking thing. 
do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, and that same thing applies here. Like, if you're going to come up here and go on a guided hunt, even if it's just semi-guided and the guys are just kind of helping you out a little bit, they're not, like, really doing the whole fully guided thing. Like, <laughs> do your part. Yeah, you know, another thing, uh, you know, communication. You know, we'll be just grinding before the hunt start. And then once hunt start, you know, it's hunt, hunt, hunt making adjustments, finding deer, tracking deer, cleaning deer. Rebating uh, feed sites, checking cameras, getting a lodge ready, got food, doing the dishes, making beds, turn around, go, go, go. You know, like, and we'll do that, you know, for like 28 straight days. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no break. Like, it's physically exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. So, it, you know, if I had, I think, like, there's been people that have come before, and they're almost helpful when they come. Like, they have this... Like understanding, understanding, and given yeah. personality, and like when you meet people like that, say there's ten guys in camp, um, you know, and the, but this one guy is just like he's understanding. He, he's like, hey guys, I know what's hot today. Deer might be moving. You know, how long you think I should set? Like, hey Bob, I'd like you to set till eleven. I know it's going to be maybe slow, but I think it's worth it. And you say, absolutely. You know, come pick me up at eleven. Well, I tell you a story that 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 Liam told me. The, one of the other guides here today. And this is understanding on a whole nother level. So the new lodge just, just got finished, and it's like the only like the second or third week of people staying in it. So a couple of weeks ago, the one of the first groups that stayed here, I think the first group that stayed here, the two guys, um, they tagged out pretty early, and they had a third hunter in their group, and the third hunter was still hunting, you know, hadn't had any luck yet. And um, so... The direct TV guy or the Dish Network guy, whoever guy comes to run the head to fish some wires. Well, one of the guys that tagged out was an electrician, and the apparently the the t- TV guy like he wasn't very good at that part of his job. And so they came back from checking cameras and putting hunters out and doing their thing. And the guy's like, "Yeah, I've been been in here working today." And they're like, "Do what?" And he's like, "Yeah, this guy couldn't figure out how to fly. help him fish the wire. Y'all are set up now." <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that, but I mean, it really, like, like, just it's 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 you know, it's obviously you don't ask people to help with chores around the no, at all, no. but but it's it's that understanding that like just you know when you come, just understand what's going on, and, and as a hunter, just understand that like there's only so much people can do, and I, I even I talk control about what you can control. And, and, and I talk about this with, like, even on a much bigger picture level, like the state agencies and stuff, we all want to complain about everything that's going on. They can only do so much. It's up to us as individual hunters in every state, no matter what the challenges are. In every state, it's up to us as individual hunters to kind of do our part to make the sport better, to make the experience better on public ground, private ground, you know, in, in every way. And that that's just kind of a... Don't be a douchebag <laughs> in life. <laughs> you're saying you're going to give your opinion. Let's just be honest here. <laughs> but, well, yeah, uh, you know, I agree. And I would say, like, the guy helping fishing the wires through, like, you know, I can remember back when we did our first hunts, and um, uh, we had a landowner that was, like, uh, really instrumental in us being successful. Like, they gave way more than they needed to give. But that's a no. That's a story for another day. But anyways, we they say Here, here's a house you can use, and this is our very first lodge. And man, we get a couple twin beds in there. I don't even remember if they had sheets, but we did have blankets. 
And uh, the guys come in, they're like, you know, we'll, we'll cook our food. We got this. And there's just some forks and paper plates. And like, well, what are we going to cook in? And I was this blank look. I was 22 years old. And, and yeah. you know, who like, knows? What? Like, I'm just, I'm trying. Figuring this out on the fly. <laughs> yeah. We got you know. big deer. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they knew that too. And they, and they actually enjoyed it. But I remember like, these guys went and they, they bought a gas grill and set it up. And they bought some pots and pans. And when they left, they just left it, you know, left it there for, for y'all us. to use. Yeah. 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 Which was pretty cool the, to that, um, you know, the people doing that. But don't, we're not going to ask you to pay for your hunt today <laughs> and bring a gas grill with you. No, don't worry about that. We got the gas grill <laughs> yeah, covered these yeah, days. <laughs> we've had some really good people be really good to us and been fortunate to get where we are. But. I guess what I'm getting at there is like, and like you can attest, you came here as just some guy we met at a trade show coming hunting, yeah. and you become friends, you know, become yeah. family almost. And I could say like, over the years, like that—that's what it is. That's what you can expect here. It's just a little bit different than I think what you get at this image of a really commercialized thing. Like, it's just good people working hard, and and we really do want well for you. We want. Well, and to your point about earlier, you said about the hunting, like I can attest because I've been places where I've only been a couple of times and I kind of get an idea of what it's all about, but I don't know exactly, but I know exactly. And I'm talking just about hunting. Like I've been here enough that I've seen the, I've seen the days where like every time you grunt, a deer shows up, you know what I mean? Right. And then I've seen the days where it's like, what the heck is going on? Like, you know, like, I know they're here. Well, well you've got to hunt. You know, you, you're a great person to talk about this because you've been here in late October. You've been here in the middle of rut. You know, late hunted, rut, late, yeah, late everything. Rut. You need hunting with us long enough to, to have an opportunity to see some different you got to do it. Yeah. Like, if you want to see it fully, if you want to experience it fully, you've got to, you got to stretch it out. you gotta, you, you got to do it more. Now, you might get lucky. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, you might get lucky. And experience, at least from a rut perspective, everything that happens all on one. But that just, you can't plan for that. And you shouldn't expect that. If you buy a piece of property, you shouldn't expect it to be that every time you hunt just because it's in Kansas. If you come on a guided hunt, you shouldn't expect it to be that just because it's a guided hunt. You know, um, any of that stuff, it, to your point, it's still hunting. But if you want to, you know, if you're if you're an avid hunter in Louisiana and you listen to this podcast and you've always wanted to hunt Kansas, you've heard about Kansas your whole life, I think it's a good point that you made. It's not one that I really expected to be a part of this podcast, but it's kind of something you want to, like, make a part of your yearly routine. I've done that because I can tell you right now, I believe wholeheartedly, and I've I've hunted some incredible places. I've been fortunate enough to hunt some incredible places all across the country. But pound for pound, acre for acre, southeast not, not southeast Kansas is the best place to whitetail hunt in America. It's just it's I, just my I agree opinion. With that. So, and I like to add on to that with this. And and like as we say, you know, Mother Nature can be rough. Like the rut can be rough. A lot, a lot of things that we can't take care of. But what you can count on, like if you're going to invest into, like where am I going to spend some time at? Like you can count on the people here. You can count on the preparation here. You can count on the land like we we use good properties we use good equipment we have good work ethic and we take care of our business well and we'll take care of you so you know you those things you can count on and yeah if you just add spend a little bit of time 
yeah. in that formula there, guess what happens? Yeah, you kill big deer. Well, I I I told you, Matt, he asked when we started, like, how long are these things? I was like, an hour, two hours. And he's like, two hours is a long time. Let's spend an hour. Was it really? <laughs> they go by really fast. We covered a lot of stuff, and we got some guys coming in this afternoon from their hunts and all that, and we're fixing to start cooking, and the lodge is kind of going to start getting rocking. But it's – this is – I don't even know, man. What is this like? My I think it's my 12th year, 10th or 12th year, something like that. And um, I've uh, – you know, I, I it'll spoil you. I, 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 I Like, you might laugh at this, but – Coming from the south, I tell people the number one thing I tell people about coming. It's like fishing in a stock pond. You don't ever want to have to go to a lake and work for it again. <laughs> but I also yeah. understand that if I came a week or two earlier or a week or two later, it's just not the same. It's that rut, and it's just it's just something that I've hunted, and I've you know I've hunted a lot, and I've been fortunate enough to hunt in good on really good properties as well. And and I'm forty years old now, and I've hunted places in the South for years and years and had like one day where I've experienced what I experienced three times in one day in, in the Midwest, and specifically in Kansas. I mean, I'll say I've had some amazing hunts in Oklahoma. I've had some amazing hunts in Missouri. I, I've had a multiple amazing hunts in Kansas. I really do think that if you're, you know, this is the place, it, and, and for a bow hunter too. I mean, I, I, I'm not a – I haven't shot a deer with a rifle, and the last deer I shot with a rifle – was when my uh, my oldest son Flip was like, he wasn't old enough to hunt, but he wanted to go hunting. So I went hunting with him, and I shot a deer with a gun, like so he could experience it. And and honestly, if that's your thing, and there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and they bow hunt, but they also rifle hunt. My dad's a huge rifle hunter, and it's because he loves guns. Rifle hunting is his chance to go use his guns, and I under, so I appreciate that on a different yep. level. That's where I started. You know, I, I did too, but at this point, I don't like it. And, and I, I say I don't like it. I don't, I don't, it's not, I don't, I, it's not I'm, intriguing I, to it's you. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I like, but. I love this, but I, 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 I just, man. Hey, we do have some killer rifle hunts, though. I know. Well, I can see, and I've said this a bunch of times. I think if I ever got back into rifle hunting, it would be in a place like this or anywhere where I could, like, the, take advantage of the long range opportunities, like yep. the challenge of, Hunting long range. Long range. I'm yeah. not going to shoot a freaking deer right. at 50 yards with a rifle hey, when I could just. That happens more than the long range. <laughs> I know it does, we but set still. Up for 100-yard shots. So I'm looking for execution. <laughs> I can tell yeah. you, as it, at when I was younger, hunting Louisiana, Mississippi, whatever, when I was younger, like so many times I, I, I was in that like in-between stage of going from, I'm going to start bow hunting. Like I'm trying to challenge myself. I'm trying to become a better hunter. And I would give in later in the year and then i'd shoot a deer at 25 yards with a rifle i'm like only <laughs> with a bow half the year <laughs> yeah. and so but it's just it's it's so awesome to experience it up close and personal and i i told colin today we were talking actually this morning about where we were going to hunt this evening and then specifically tomorrow because the weather's going to be warmer and we're really gonna like our last day and like have to really figure it out and make the most of it with the weather not being to our favor and i'm like you know one thing that I live by, and I see it in the way that you guys set up stands, and and so I know that, like, from a hunting perspective, comparing it to Louisiana and all that kind of stuff, like, you don't hunt where you see deer. You hunt where you can shoot deer mm-hmm. with a bow. Like, you can sit over there on the edge of that field, and it might be the right spot sometimes, but in this pinch right here, 
you might not see him every hunt, but when you do, he's dead. Yeah, Look, and that's the, that's the land will the land will tell you where you need. That's to be. the consistent yeah. success of a bow hunter is learning to hunt not where it looks pretty and you're going to see a lot of deer. You set yourself up to where it might take a few times. It might take that dedication. This applies to if you're hunting in Louisiana too. It might take that dedication and that and that that time put in to get it to 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 get the job done and kill the deer. But you you know you got to be a hunter. But when he finally does it, he's dead. Absolutely. You know that's why I like people call me lucky all the time, and I am lucky. Okay, I mean I'll be the first one to admit it. Um, it takes a matter of luck to kill deer at a consistent rate. There's a part of it that's always luck because you can do everything right and the deer don't cooperate, you know, or you don't get off work on the days when the weather's the right. Hey, I tell my kids all the time, like the only way you lose is if you quit. Like I'm going to keep going until he messes up. Right. So go until something happens. I I think that luck has a huge part of bow hunting and, and it has a big to do with when you come up here on a hunt like this in the Midwest or you're grinding it out long season in the South, whatever it is. But, like, the way I set myself up, and I, and I see that a lot, and I hunted with other outfitters and stuff, too. I see the way y'all set the stands up and stuff. Like, I may have to sit there a while, but when he finally comes through there, I'm not going to have to rush a 40-yard shot because I've got him. Mm-hmm. Like, it may take some time. I may have to pick my days just right. But when he comes through there, he's dead. It's just like this morning, the stand that Maddie sent me to this morning. Like, when that deer finally committed, he's in my lap. You know, I mean, there's no, like, trying to pick a shot as he's walking along the edge of the field because he's 40 yards. Yeah, man. Not that that doesn't happen, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, that's that's such a huge part. And that's like, a, like I'm trying to parallel, like, hunting at home yeah. and hunting up here. Like, it matters how you set up because that's, like, being high percentage. I think that a lot of times as hunters, we equate our success or our abilities as a hunter with the amount of deer we see from the stand. What does good does that do if not one of them gave you a good ethical opportunity to kill them? Hey, you're opening up in a can of worms right now. Like, <laughs> I've, I've had this debate before, like, shoot deer versus see deer, and you can go crazy. But but the reality is, is like, you have a, a limited weapon with a limited range, and you've got to hunt areas that force deer into that yep. space. So, you know, that's what we use – Use the geography, creek crossing, funnels, pinch points, and all the, the things you And that's about. the same, whether you're in Louisiana. Doesn't matter. Or where yeah. you're in Kansas or anywhere in between, you've got to, and, and I think it's, I've, I've seen people a lot of times, they go into a new area and they pick a spot to hang a stand, and then the, before you know it, the whole area, the, the, you know, their stand location, it looks like a light pole. It's like, how are you going to shoot a mature deer? Uh, not a mature deer, how are you going to shoot a doe out of that? Because they're more wary than a a, a, yeah. mature buck. a four-year-old, five-year-old <laughs> deer is a buck, a, you know, a raghorn or a beautiful 116-inch deer. They're all smart. They've all had five years Yeah, that, that years horn doesn't it. make them smarter. No, The no, inches of horn. age is And so it's like, that. yeah, I, I set a stand up and I'm like, well, what happens if he comes over there? Well, I'm going to have to just let him walk by and, and hope I get another opportunity because what I'm hunting this for is this, and when it happens, he's dead. You know, like, and I just, I just think that that's uh, – I noticed that a lot, a lot of a, a lot of the stands that I've hunted up, up here are set up that way. And yeah, I mean, there might be deer that that do this, but that's not what I'm hunting. I'm hunting this, mm-hmm. and and it might take three or four days, but they're gonna do this. And I, mean, I do that at home. And 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 I just, you know, you you put in your time and you just be a good hunter, 
And I think that like a lot of the luck is involved in you being able to be there on the right day and the deer cooperating. But then there's a whole lot of other stuff that happens around the luck right. that's like uh, the old saying uh, luck is when opportunity and preparation yeah I mean, favors the prepared luck. yes absolutely yeah <laughs> posted, there's a process or system behind luck <laughs> i posted a picture of my deer from this morning i put this horseshoe is uncomfortable but it works very well <laughs> so uh, just being just kind of you know just goofing off about the luck thing but so it, it look we've made it over the hour um Tell people, just quickly summarize, uh, you know, you guys have been advertised on the podcast this year. Um, I want to remind people because we're not going to have the pre-read ad here because, um, you know, obviously you're, this whole thing is a, a lot about 180. So, But, you know, we are doing the waterfowl stuff. we got a few more of those. Um, they're going to do the late season waterfowl hunts in January. We're trying to fill those up. It's going to be a cool opportunity remind people about that but outside of that just kind of give me a quick rundown of what all you guys offer from real estate to leases guides and just everything so people kind of know i know we've talked about a lot of it but just kind of run it down as we close the main thing i want to touch on is like whether you're looking for like a multi-million dollar investment property turnkey hunting ranch or a row crop farm to get a particular return on your investment all the way down to hey man i got a tag for this year and i don't have a place to hunt can you help like we we do A to Z in there, and, and we'd be happy to discuss it with you and see if we have, you know, an opportunity for you. And uh, one thing you count on is, is honesty and integrity. If I don't think I can help you, I'll tell you. you know, and if we got a route to, that feels successful, then we'll pursue it. So that there's just – if you come to Kansas, you need to call us. We need to talk. We need to talk about what you plan to do, what you're trying to do, and uh, see if maybe there's something we can do to help you there. Um, and uh, Locke was leading into a kind of partnered up with Harris Outfitters there in Missouri, and they're going to bring their expertise in the waterfowl field to Kansas. And we've got a lot of ground, but you know, uh, Maddie and Brian, they mostly focus on deer and turkeys down here. And when it hits waterfowl season, we all run and hide because we're so tired. <laughs> uh, so we got a fresh set of legs coming down with with Tyson, and he's going to bring what's been very successful for him up there to our area, um, but put it to work on our leases and, and use the lodge here. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see, like, he's a passionate guy, loves what he does. And uh, it's fun when you see someone like that get into a new area. Or it's like a whole new adventure. Yeah. And, and there's, and, you know, mixing the, a guy feel a little bit younger than he is. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's, you know, they say that this area of Kansas is like the most, one of the fastest growing waterfowl areas in the it country. Is insane. And that's, you know, Tyson's a good friend of mine, and I've been hunting with him in Missouri for a long time. And he was, you know, he keeps, he came and filmed a turkey hunt with me here at 180 a couple of years ago. And he's like, hey, Matt, got any, got any duck? And I was like, well, I think he like leases out some duck holes and stuff, but it's, it's not, not I forgot yeah. I, they don't get real into it. I mean, they do a little bit. And he's like, we need to talk. And so I really think, like, he, I, I can say this, I'm, I'm like you. I'm not a big waterfowl guy. I've done it, but I'm not a big waterfowl guy at all. And But from hearing them talk, and that's what they do. Like yep, Tyson's yep. turkey hunting and duck hunting. And, you know, it, he, he'll he kill a deer every now and then, you know, but it, turkey hunting and if it's got feathers, he's into it, you know. <laughs> and so he's like, man, I, you know, he was up here with me and we were around for a couple of days turkey hunting and seen a couple of different properties. And he's like, man, the duck hunting around here is awesome. And I'm like, uh, you know what's crazy is like 
I haven't put any effort into that. Like if we had a place that is good deer hunting, but it also had a duck pond on it. Well, cool. We got a duck pond now, but never I put effort into like, Hey, that has waterfowl potential. Like, Hey, we should probably look into seeing if we can acquire that property or, Hey, you know, an investor just bought this uh, crop field. If we build a marsh in this corner, that's going to be lights out and for the January hunt, like, it is such an infant Open. little baby right now. Yeah, like like so many a, opportunities. And, and I think, I mean, with the foundation we have, I, it's going to be lights out year one, but um, I think you probably should be looking at booking now, and you probably should be looking at booking next year now because be cool. it's, it's going to be. Well, I know this. Like, it's I know there's a lot of parts of the country that don't, you know, the south is pretty hot in January typically, and I mean hot as in if we're going, if we're going to have good waterfowl, it's going to be good hunting that time of the year but you know like and again i don't know anything about it just talking to him as many birds that that are here in january i can't imagine there's any yeah south of like it's crazy Uh, yeah well that's part of the problem and everybody down so we're we're like in louisiana that's the biggest complaint is like oh they're stopping them all in arkansas it's the habitat yeah growth and improvement and like we again we can do a whole nother podcast on that but like they're they're developing waterfowl well, all you guys down in Louisiana that are listening that bow hunt and waterfowl hunt and you're complaining about all of this stuff and the ducks don't ever come south, well, you can come meet them up here. Yeah, yeah. yeah you need I, to cut them off. Because yes. uh, the amount of habitat that's being dedicated to waterfowl, like, that was not a thing. When we started outfitting, that was not a thing. Yeah. You know, and I'll never forget one of our buddies that used to um, help us guide every now and then, he, he always got mad at Duck Commander. He's like, he's like, before Duck Commander, we had all these, we just hunted public all the time. There's no one around. He's like, now everybody that's got a beard thinks they're a duck hunter. <laughs> you know, so. Well, that's the case on everywhere down south, too. It's like you can't go hunt anything. It, it got cool to be a duck hunter. So I, I never got in, I never got in on that bandwagon, but I've definitely, you know, as a, as a land professional and watching like property values and what's driving land sales and what people are doing with the land after they buy it, uh, the influence of waterfowl to the landmark in our area has become a bit overwhelming. Hmm. And I think it's only begun. Like, yeah. it's just getting started. So. Well, if it does anything like it did, I guess it's been 10 years, 15 years ago or so when it, it hit. It, uh, like, people go nuts. Well, duck hunters, uh, for for a pound for pound, like, they're, their checkbook's bigger. Well, they spend a lot of money to shoot. Like, I come up here and kill a 250 260 pound buck with big antlers and it's like a huge deal and i spend half the stuff they spend to shoot a damn five <laughs> no, little old I'm ducks not, i'm not gonna giggle because i know that somebody's passionate about this they love be it listening they're gonna give us a they hard love time it. but i did it yeah. i've done and i will say this so again i do share my opinions pretty liberally on this podcast <laughs> and beyond but i've done this is one of those things where i'm not just spouting off because i've duck hunted plenty enough to like, and I just, I, ne- I I did it, I've done it enough to get the itch, and I never got it the way, but I know some people do, and like I said, I mean, you know, the guys that I know that are super passionate about it, that do it for a living, they're like, hey, you need to let me talk to Matt. We're talking about Tyson here, but he's mm-hmm. like, you need to let me talk. We need to talk, because that, the duck hunting there is phenomenal. And I'm like, I was like, well, Tyson, all I can tell you is, I've been there some 
like later November when it's really cold and there's freaking mallards on every cow pond. That's all I can tell you. I don't. And he's yeah, like, dude, it is a lot of. You know, it's crazy. That's how raw it is. A lot of your hunting is these potholes, farm ponds. And they're just in yeah. cow pastures, just but, dropping off, stopping yeah, off. It, that's what it has been forever. But then you see, like, we got bigger reservoirs. Yeah. So uh, you know, later in the year, the ponds start freezing up, and the but the birds will all start congregating on the reservoirs. Yeah. And then they come off of those to feed in farm fields by the masses. Like I can remember, I can imagine that too. Yeah. I cut said, corn and all. Oh yeah, and, and cut corn is really where you see the the mallards, but you know, geese will pile into bean fields and wheat fields. But I remember sitting in a tree stand on one of the leases, and I was just trying to shoot a doe. As after all the hunters are gone, and we needed to kill does for this landowner. And I get out there and I sit in the tree and I start watching these ducks. And I, and, you know, at that time I really knew nothing about ducks, and um, it looked like a tornado mm-hmm. of ducks. And I remember calling my buddy and I was like, "Hey, I, I don't really know what's going on here, but it looks like the ducks are making a tornado." <laughs> and he's like, "Where you at? Like, drop me a pin." <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, check that out. Like hunt180.com, um, 180 Outdoors, Cherryville, Kansas. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, but hunt180.com is the website. You can book online um, any of these hunts we've talked about, and um, you can also check your Mossy, it's the Mossy Oak properties of the Heartland or? Uh, Farm and Land Realty is our, our Mossy Oak properties office there in Neo Kansas. Uh, so if you get on, look for land listings in the area, say Land Watch, Lands of America, Lands of Kansas, you can't miss us. Okay. Uh, so, and uh, like I say, that, just give us a call. Let us know what you're looking to do, and we can steer you in the right direction. Yep. Well, if and I, you know, in closing, I'll say if if you're listening to this podcast and you're you've been bow hunting in Louisiana your whole life, and you love it the way most people do that listen to this podcast, and you've been trying to consider like I want to go on a trip somewhere, I want to go hunt somewhere else in Midwest Kansas. You do have to put in a, a, you got a lottery a tag, and you got to do that in April. But if you can get a tag, there's not really much. I, I, I can't. There's not a better place. There may be as good of a place, but there's not a better place. I agree with that. Hey, also, if you own 80 acres or more, you can buy your tag over the counter. Yeah, so that, another thing there. Yeah, so you, can, um, you can't beat Kansas. Like I said, you may find some places specifically like Iowa, certain places where uh, Tags other, are even more restrictive. Yeah, I'm even yeah. more restrictive. Yeah. But there, you know, there's plenty of good areas all across but southeast Kansas in general to to hunt or you know or invest and manage property in any you know however you want to do it you can't beat it it's great if uh, if that's your game but um, again if you just want to go on a hunt somewhere like you know like you said you guys do all kinds of different stuff semi guided fully guided all kinds of things like that so um, it is a very different experience and you know we didn't get completely deep dive into all the differences and that's really hard to do because um some of that's subjective some of it is how you take it and you sit in a tree stand and what you personally how you personally um perceive things may change but it you know it's a good point that you've made several times it is still deer hunting you know you still got to put in the you know the effort to be a good hunter and all that kind of stuff but um they grow them big and they rut hard <laughs> and all those things so and, you know, in 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 closing, um, you know, if this area of the world is on your bucket list, check out 180 Outdoors. They've been uh, supporting the podcast this year, and thanks for taking the time to thanks for letting me come hunting again. You know, yeah, finding no time worries. for me to be here every year, and um, 
you know, just sitting down doing a podcast with me. I'm kind of late. I was supposed to do this on Friday. But I killed a deer on Thursday, and I had to go get him out of the woods on Friday. And then I had to find somebody to cape him because CWD, you can't take bone matter and all that crap home with you. And so we've gotten all backed up. And so we'll do two this week, and, you know, we'll wrap up with Kyler. Uh, I'll wrap up with Kyler uh, at the end of the week because he's in Oklahoma hunting um, down around Bartlesville where you've actually had some property. Really, too. he's not far away. Yeah. No, not far away. He killed a deer the other day. He's got one more tag. He's hunting the public ground. So, we'll do a recap of our Midwestern hunts, and um, again, check them out, hunt180.com. Anything else before we wrap up? No, appreciate you taking the time to listen. Yeah, man. I, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of fun coming up here and hunting. I look forward to doing it for years to come, and encourage people, again, check everything out. Um, social media, you guys are Facebook and Instagram, primarily Facebook and Instagram. Hunt180.com, and remind you... Um, We've got all the new apparel, all the new hat designs for Louisiana Bowhunter. You can shop online or you can pick them up at any of our retail locations all across the state. If you've got a outdoor shop or a quick stop somewhere that you stop in on your way to and from the camp or wherever you're hunting and they don't have Louisiana Bowhunter gear and you want them to have Louisiana Bowhunter gear, give me a shout and we will see if we can talk to them and see what we can get on the rack there. Um, support the brand. Send us your pictures. We love posting those. And uh, hunt safe, and we will talk to you at the end of the week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.